Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Image Bears Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana, and uh, hope you guys are doing fantastically well. How is everybody? I uh, have to have a have to give a huge apology because it's been about a month since I've released a new episode. I am so super sorry uh, to all of you guys who listen and gals who listen. Um, and, uh, life has just been absolutely, uh, stompingly, uh, busy. <laughs> and so, um, we have been trying to keep up and I think have done decently well, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's been long and, and tough. So thank you guys for being patient. And, uh, I want to thank, um, uh, Roland and all the guys and gals at Hebrew Nation for being patient. Uh, we are back and, uh, excited to be back and looking forward to, uh, the next couple weeks of episodes. And, uh, I hope everybody is doing well. Um, if you, uh, are still in the glow of Hanukkah possibly and, uh, looking forward to Purim in another month or so and, uh, things are happening and I hope, hope and I pray that Hashem is blessing your life, uh, in, in meaningful ways. Um, we have, uh, some really great things going on here in the ministry and, um, and some things that are that are happening that I'm really excited to tell you about uh, when when they finally come to fruition. Uh, but for one thing, I'm super stoked about. Uh, if you watch us and follow with us, join with us on um, on Shabbat mornings uh, at ten ten a.m. Central. Uh, you know that our live stream capability has been a little uh, a little less than ideal uh, quality because our internet is just it's been really really tough. And uh, so, I, fingers and toes crossed, and all prayers to Hashem today that will be fixed. And uh, as I'm recording this on Monday, and so hopefully, if you guys tune in on Shabbat, you will see a beautiful, uh, non-glitchy, <laughs> really smooth, uh, clear live stream this coming weekend. And I pray that that is the case. And uh, so, if you didn't know, uh, we do live stream our services each Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central uh, to our website, outofashesministries.org. And we also simulcast to Facebook and YouTube. So check us out if you're looking for a fellowship uh, to join or if you uh, have a fellowship but you meet at a different time. We'd love to have you come by and say Shabbat Shalom and uh, stick around. We uh, we do worship. Uh, we do a blessing for our children. Uh, we do the reading of the Parsha, uh, the Haftarah and the Gospels. And then uh, we usually have a short lesson and a short teaching. And uh, yeah, it's a great time. So uh, come hang out with us on Shabbat. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys there. So uh, we are going to jump into this week's episode. And before we do that, as we usually do, let us go to the Father in a quick word of prayer. 
Avinu Shemashemayim, our Father in Heaven, Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, we bless you and we thank you for this credible opportunity that we have to be together. And I pray, Father, that as we discuss your word and as we discuss your who you are, it would make us better image bearers that we represent you well in our world each and every day. guys so today i want to uh i want to talk to us a little bit about actually last week's parsha uh which was uh shemot the beginning of the book of exodus and um i want to talk about uh, similar to something i did this last shabbat that really has as i thought about it more all last week and and this week um it's really been it's really been staggering to me how how much i've thought about this and i think how maybe uh, how little some other folks think about this. Now, um, this is going to be a, it's going to start out as a tad bit morbid, um, but hopefully we'll turn it around fairly quickly. Um, but I, uh, and maybe it is because of, uh, elderly parents or aging parents. Um, my parents, my dad is 82. My mom is 80, 79, 80. Um, I'm the youngest of, of six children and the nearest sibling to me is like nine years older than me. And so I was a late, you know, it was a late, late child. Uh, so my parents are older and uh, maybe that's it. Maybe it is just uh pastoral work where you're seemingly always in hospitals and funeral homes and, you know, uh, you know, visiting those that are sick and elderly and things like that, which is, is wonderful. I love that part of, of what I do, but, uh, maybe that's it. I don't know, but I have been thinking a lot lately about death and not so much about, not so much about death in, for death's sake, but about death and life, more on the life side. Uh, how death impacts the way we live our lives, I guess is the best way to say it. And like I said, I don't want this to sound really morbid, but I want it to be really striking um, for us. And so, you know, we, it's interesting to me as I, as I spend time on the road, as I, you know, drive and I was, I'm running errands as I'm, as I'm out working on the farm or whatever it is. And I have just time to think. Um, I've thought a lot about lately. I've been kind of consumed by this idea of, of what life is and who, who humans are. What, what are human beings? Um, one thing that strikes me, and I think this is kind of the impetus for this thought is when we lose someone close to us, um, it's very, very difficult, right? It, it, it impacts your entire life. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But you ever notice how you feel whenever you hear of someone else who lost a loved one or a family member? Uh, when you, you see it on Facebook, Facebook, uh, you hear about someone in town who passed away and you knew them maybe, but maybe you didn't know them that well. You know what I mean? They didn't, you didn't really have a relationship. You knew of them or you, you know, you were acquaintances and you're like, wow, man, that's, 
that's terrible, you know, and pray for their family and, and, you know, and think about them and stuff, but it doesn't impact you like it does whenever someone close to you passes away. And why is that? And is that right? Or, or how should we think about that? How should we process that? So that's kind of been my, my thought process lately. And I've, I've tried to quantify why this is so important to me. And I think it's because we talk about, um, ourselves some way. Sometimes we talk about ourselves as a, a body with a soul. Some people describe us as a soul with a body. And yet I don't know that the Bible is super clear on the way that the ancient people thought about being, right? About what, what a human being is. What is consciousness? What is, you know, reality? What, what is living and breathing? The, the main word that the biblical text uses for a, a living being is nephesh. And nephesh in its literal meaning literally means throat. So, you know, we, when we, and when we say the Shema, when we say the Vihafta, um, we, we talk about loving, you know, loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. That word, that nephesh really means your throat, literally. And, and what we, what we think, what we can kind of surmise is that from the ancients, the understanding of, of breathing, of eating, your sustenance is right in your neck, right? That's, I mean, your mouth, but you know, in your, in your neck and also major arteries and stuff, you know, they would have understood a lot of this stuff. So it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the, your speech also, you know, originates in your, in your neck, uh, in your throat. And so it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, what, when we try to describe what the human experience is and what human existence is, it's not super easy to do, right? I mean, it's not a, it's not a super easy thing to describe what it means to be alive. And so some of the, some of the ways, one of the ways that I have come about, uh, about doing this and about kind of wrapping my own head around what it means to be alive, um, is, is that simply that each person that is living today is their own universe. They're their own, their own reality, their own cosmos, you know, little cosmos walking around. What, what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's, it's staggering because death is so final, right? Death is so final. And even when you have someone who you're walking through a terminal illness or a long illness that's like a slow burn, um, you know, you have them, you have them, you have them. And even if they are losing mental faculties or, you know, physical, uh, capabilities or whatever, you still have them. And there's, there's a sense that, you know, even if they're even mentally not with you necessarily through dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever, there's a sense that they're still there. And then whenever they're gone, gone, when they breathe their last and they move on to the next, you know, they move on to heaven, to the next place, it is, it's, it's, it's such a finality, right? It's such a, you, and I, and, and you know this if you've walked through this or if you've been with people that have walked through this, you can walk with someone, a parent or loved one, uh, through years of illness and you can prepare yourself knowing that today could be it. Am I going to get a call in the morning? Am I going to get a call in the middle of the night? Am I going to get a call this afternoon? 
am I going to get a call whenever I'm least expecting it? Or am I going to, am I going to walk into their room to check on them and that's going to be it? Like you, you spend months, weeks, days, years, even some people preparing, always preparing yourself for the inevitable. And yet when the inevitable comes, you're never prepared. So the gravity of and the finality of death should make us really think about what it means to be alive and what it means to live. And and so that's kind of where these thoughts originate from. Because we have a finite time and, and our job is to make the most of it, right? If we are called, if we are created to bear Hashem's image in this world, we are not going to live forever. We are not always going to be uh, be capable of the things we're capable of today. And, and if our number one job is to bear his image, if that's our calling, if that's our identity, if that's our function, and we only have a small time to do it, then that should, it should cause us to understand that our, our time here on this earth is incredibly precious, not just because of what we can gain are because of necessarily what we can have or, or, or what we can, even what we can accomplish, but our being itself, our existence itself. And this sounds kind of new agey and transcendental and whatever, but I think this is really important and really, uh, really it, it needs to, it's, it's pungent. That's not the word I'm looking for. That's a smell, but you know what I mean? And in, in the sense that if, if you, if you really want to take your life seriously, realize that that your life is finite. I mean, you got 80 years, 90 years, maybe. And how many of those, how many of those 80 years are, are your most productive years, right? Let's say from, let's say 15 years old, 16 years old to 70, you know, 75. I know they're, they're outliers. You got a, you got about 50 years really of super productive work. You're too young. You're not really sure what life's all about. You get older. There are other, you know, disadvantages. And so if we take our calling as image bearers of Hashem seriously, then it should really prompt us to think about what life is and to, and to get to work doing what we're supposed to be doing. So a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we talked about, uh, we have for a couple of weeks talked about Rabbi uh, Reichman's book, um, uh, The Journey to Your Ultimate Self, right? Lech Lecha, The Journey to Your Ultimate Self. And the, just to recap real quick, to talk about this idea that when we were being formed in our mother's womb, this is a midrash, so it's not expected to be taken literally, but I, I think it's very insightful and very interesting. The idea is that when we were in our mother's womb and we were being, we were growing, as an, as an embryo, um, there was an angel assigned to us from Hashem, and that angel taught us what is called in Hebrew, kol haturah kula, kol haturah kula, which means all of the Torah. And it's not, the way it's explained in the, in the Midrash is that it's not just the written Torah that we have, that is the beginning but the angel also teaches us all of the realities and all of the deepest truths in a in a really a transcendental way. We 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 learn all the mysteries of life in the womb. And and that is pretty incredible. 
We learn the future. We learn prophecy. We learn, we learn all these things in the womb. But not only that, we also learn our specific part in bringing this to ha- bringing this to be we we see the idealness of what the world is supposed to be and we are also t- also taught our individual role in torah our individual torah now it doesn't mean that i have a different torah than you do or that uh you know that we have a different torah than the jewish people do it means my torah means my part of the torah right what what Hashem has assigned me to do because the idea is that we are taught all these things and then we are we lose access to it right before we're born an angel strike the angel strikes us and we lose access to it before we're born and the the idea is that we are supposed to come back into the world and recreate find what that that purpose was and create it in this world because it's really nothing if it's only a dream if it's only a if it's unconscious or subconscious it it matters when it's brought into fruition when it's manifest right the um the, the, you know this the, the angel teaches us and 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 the Vilna Gaon if you want to look at more of this he's he's one of the sages that really brought this out um this we are also there there's also something else that happens in the womb and it is uh that we we, we take a shavua um the gemara teaches this that we are forced to take a shavua which is an oath a promise an oath that we will become a tzaddik. Now, what is a tzaddik? We've talked about tzaddikim most, a lot, a righteous person, right? Um, the, the the main problem here is a promise, a guarantee, an oath, a vow. How can we promise that we'll be a, a tzaddik? Um, how, how do we, you know, of course, we're, we're still, again, this is all in the womb and this is all, you know, just ways to try to explain what, what happens. But I think it's really interesting and the, the the point is that we – this is the reason why uh, – we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You ever like – you hear something for the – what you think is the first time and you go like, oh, man, that really resonates with me. Or you have this just weird sense that you understand something or you know something, but you're not super convinced that you do. You think you might just be fooling yourself. And then all of a sudden you hear it spoken or you hear it said, or you see it happen, you're like, oh, I knew it, my gut, right? We call that our gut. This is this is a way to explain kind of how some of these things happen. And the idea is that we knew all this information. We knew all these mysteries in the womb. And when we were born, we lost access to it. We didn't, we didn't lose it. We lost access to it. And so we, this is how we, this is how Hashem um, finds us and how we are, we are, we are drawn towards Hashem in the first place. That, that, that the, the spirit, Ruach Elohim, touches those parts of us that were, that we were exposed to in the womb, that, that the angel exposed in the womb and uses those things to draw us. This is, this is really interesting. And it goes to explaining why, uh, you know, when someone is first, uh, born again, someone first becomes a believer, right? In Hashem. Uh, some people, you know, everybody comes kind of a different way, right? Uh, some people are really convicted by their sin. Uh, some people are just looking for meaning in life. Uh, some people are, you know, just in, they need deliverance, restoration and healing. There's a lot of different ways people come to salvation, redemption. And in the same way, there's a lot of, uh, everybody comes to the Torah in a different way, right? 
you know, I just think about your own, uh, your own life and then think about the people that you know. Um, I, I came to the Torah through the dietary laws. Uh, some of you come through the Torah through the Shabbat or the calendar. Uh, some of you come through, you know, the Mishkan and studying the tabernacle. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of different ways that people are drawn to the Torah. Something inside of you is your curiosity is piqued by something in the, in the Torah, right? And that's what starts you on this journey. Well, where does that come from? Is that just, you know, and I, I have, I have asked this question for years and years and years. Why us? Right? Why me? And I've said this on the podcast before. I, in my church world life, you know, my church life, I, I sat on the pews every, every Sunday. I sat next to people in front, behind, near people that were much, much more sincere and better believers than I was. They, they prayed more. They studied more. They were more sincere about their worship most of the time. You know, it just, like I was just I I was bitter and I was angry and all these things and in that bitterness and anger, Hashem used something from the Torah to pique my interest. Where does that come from? Why did I hear this voice calling me to Torah and and none of these other people did? Well, that's a timing thing and that's up to Hashem. That's not for us to you know to be able to decide or to create for anybody else. But the bottom line is, I believe sincerely that all of us have those places in our lives. And whenever Hashem is ready, he will reach in and say, this was your part of the Torah in the womb. This is your part of kol ha-Torah kula. And I'm, I'm going to start touching that part and stirring that part. And that's what's going to draw you out and into search for truth. And we're really not finding new things. We're actually returning to who, to what we knew initially and to who we were in the beginning. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's incredible. And so this, this whole idea of, of the, the womb and all these things, just a kind of a review to get us caught up because we learned something new this week that we are, we also take an oath to become a Zadik. And we can have certain understandings of what a, 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 a Zadik is that can either cause us to want to pursue that or to shirk back and think like, there's no way that I could do that. There's no way that I could be that. There must be a mistake, right? There must be, I mean, we, what do we think about Zadikim? How do you think about them? Well, let's first of all ask, who do you think about when you think about a Zadik? Of course, we think about Yeshua, right? First and foremost, think about Yeshua. Who else? Who else is a Zadik? Remember, we're starting the book of Shemot, where we started last week, and we're in Vayira this week. Who else is a Zadik, right? Well, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And who else? Well, Judaism says that Noah was a Zadik, right? Adam Rishon is a Zadik. Uh, Yosef is a Zadik. Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, all Zadikim. Matter, as a matter of fact, all of the 12 sons of Yaakov were Zadikim. And, and Judaism has these profound messages about each one of these men and women that are Zadikim in the Torah. And, and, and who they are and what they accomplished. And we can look at those people and we can, we can say, well, like, yeah, but that was then, this is now. Or yeah, but they had a, they had this different calling on their lives than I do. Or yeah, but, and we can have all these yeah, buts, right? 
And if we look at what a, a tzaddik is and it causes us to go, yeah, but they, in comparison to ourselves, then I, I want to propose to you that we have the wrong definition of what a tzaddik is. And that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. We have a wrong idea of what a tzaddik is. If you, if you go, yeah, but I could never. Yeah, but they. In, in, in comparison to your own self, that's not about, that's not what a, what, what, what righteousness is supposed to be about. It's about us finding who we are and, and returning to this oath that we made to become a Zodic. But in order to do that, we have to know what our goal is, right? What our target is. And so in the second segment, we're going to talk about the book of Shemot. We're going to redefine a little bit of what a Zodic is. And we're going to talk about how we find that calling and how we find our role in that calling. So don't go away. Stick around for the second segment. We'll be right back right after the break. everybody. Hey, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio, where we are talking about becoming a Zadik. And um, again, I know this is going to be a daunting thing for many of us, especially if you have like insecurity issues, anxiety, things. This can be a lot of pressure. Um, so we this also can go against the some of our nature. Uh, well, let me say that our taught nature or our programmed nature. Um, in addition to what we talked about last segment where like the idea is like, oh yeah, well they, they could do, you know, Moshe was this, but he, you know, the, I mean, like he met with God, right? In a burning bush and had miracles and all that. Of course he would be a Zodiac, a righteous man. Of course. All right. <laughs> we have all, you know, Abraham. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he saw the angel of the Lord. I mean, how many times? Yeah, of course. And we can have all these, all these, yeah, buts, but also in addition to that, we can also uh, really struggle with this idea of becoming a tzaddik and what it means to be a tzaddik because of our own like programmed lens. And what I mean by that is that 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 wonderful old doctrine that we were taught uh, as as Christians that um, you are you are you know sin sick born you are worthless you you know you have to deny yourself instead of embracing yourself and who you are. You know, you have to, you have to always, you know, self is a bad thing. Instead of self being like, no, this is the thing Hashem created. Like I need, you know, I need to know what Hashem created. So we war when we, and we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, that idea. But when we war against the idea of whether we can and should love ourselves or not, this, this idea of becoming a zari can be really stressful, right? It can be really stressful. Uh, some of us will, you know, we have kind of PTSD over the idea of like, well, that, you know, maybe you felt this in, in growing up in church that were like, you're, you're supposed to be like Yeshua, but like, you can't really be like Yeshua. Like we know, right? <laughs> like that's the goal. He's the goal. He's the aim. He's what we should model ourselves out. But like, you're never gonna, you're never gonna actually do it. 
right? So there's this weird, okay, that's super healthy. Uh, no, not really. That's very toxic, but that's a lot of our experience. So as we talk through this, I hope to, to kind of help you and, and kind of clear some of this up and help you to navigate it a little, little bit better. So to, to start off with this, I want to talk about the book of Exodus. So if I were to ask you, what is the focus? What would you say is the focus of the book of Exodus? Many of you would say, well, like, duh, it's the Exodus. Uh, if I asked you to, to give me like what picture pops into your head when I say the word or when I say the phrase, the book of Exodus, what pictures pop into your head, right? There's something that's very, uh, very interesting. And I, I love this. We've talked about this before, but it's just bears repeating because I think it's really important. Anytime we're writing, when you're learning to write, you know, in, in grade school, junior high, high school, college, Anytime you're, you're writing, whether it's a research paper or fiction or, you know, whatever, or biography, whatever it is, any story or any information that you're writing, the structure of writing that humans have found to be the most effective is whenever the introductory sentence is the most important. It sets the tone for the rest of the writing, right? So, in a in a book, right, the introductory chapter sets the tone for the rest of the book. In a chapter, the introductory paragraph sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. In a paragraph, the introductory sentence sets the tone for the rest of the sentence, right? Of course, we get this, obviously. This is this is how how language works, how human thought works. And and this is why it's explained and taught this way in, in school. And so whenever we talk about the book of Exodus, these names, the, the English names for the Torah, the books of the Torah, you know, of course, they come from the Greek and Latin. And yet the Hebrew naming system works differently. And I, I think it's important that we take note and understand, you know, why this is and maybe what we could learn from it. So, of course, the Exodus is the, the pivotal event in the book of Exodus, right? Absolutely. But the in the Hebrew naming scheme, the book is called Shemot, right? Shemot, which means names. So how is it that – so if we follow the idea that the, in, the introduction of a story sets the tone for the story, how do we understand then that the importance of the book is actually in the names maybe over the Exodus or you know, as a larger umbrella than the Exodus event itself? Hmm, that's something to think about, right? Because names are attached to souls, beings, people, little universes, like we talked about last segment, right? Little little beings, little universe, little realities. Names are are just an identifier of the actual being, right? So what what do we talk about each person, each being be its own universe? What do I mean by that? Well, let's kind of put try to put some skin on those bones. Well, Going back to what we talked about last segment, do, do you realize like how you treat the the passing of someone differently, whether it's close to you or, or not as close to you, right? And when someone close to us passes away, why do why does it impact us so much? Why is it you say well well because they're meaningful to us, but why? Well, because we love them, but why? Well, because you know we have memories. Why? Okay, great. What 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 about those memories? Why? Ask yourself why, and and. In, and in my kind of the way I see it is that 
it's because of the the individual calling of God, the individual piece of Torah that we all have to fulfill, that we all are given to fulfill, that we when we share that with one another. See, you have a particular Torah, a particular piece of the Torah that is yours to bring into this world in order to restore the world to to Gan Eden, to the Garden of Eden. You have a particular role to play in that restoration. And whenever you and I start to get and, – and because of that, let me say this, because of that, you have an individual, unique way of looking at the world because you look at the world through what you see the world needs in order to be restored because of the call of God on your life, because of the call to your part of the Torah. You see the world through the way it needs to be repaired, even if you don't realize it. And that causes you to look at the world in a unique way. And there are others that look that have the same general calling that you do because, you know, it takes an army, right? It takes more than just one to, to, to do this whole thing. Even in, in cases like Moshe, a Zadik does not necessarily work on their own. There's always a team, right? Moshe and Aaron, uh, Yeshua and the disciples. I mean, you know, Joseph and his brother. I mean, you just go on and on and on. There's always a, a group. There's always a team, a remnant, a sheorit in the Hebrew. So when we, you have a unique perspective on the world. And when you share that perspective with someone in a deep and meaningful way, then whenever you pass away, when you pass on from this life, you ever, you ever heard the phrase, or maybe you said this when someone you is close to you passes away, you it's like, it's like a piece of my world is missing because literally that's what's happening. Because when we share our portion of the, the Torah with each other, our portion of the, our worldview and our perspective and our, the way we live our, 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 you know, our calling, when we, when we share that with each other in a deep and meaningful way, my way of seeing the world helps you to create and further your world. Your way of seeing the world helps to expand my world so that together we can work and we can put our different ways of seeing the world together and we can restore more together. This is what the body is all about. This is about being the body of Mashiach is all about. This is the body coming together. Because it's okay, we've said this for, you know, how many generations have we talked? Well, you know, you, you're the toe and you got to be okay being the toe and whatever. But what good is the toe without the other toes? Or even what good is the toe without the finger? They're, they're whole ways away from each other, but they're still indispensable to each other. And in reality, none of us are a toe or an ear or a nose hair, right? Or, or, or any of those things. We're all cells in the body. You might be, and we're, and so cells are, are not all the same, but they're all pretty similar. Their chain, their, their base is similar. They change depending on their function, where they function, but their base makeup is the same. And so that this is, we have to function together. Our base makeup is all the same. I heard two politicians yesterday on the radio, uh, talking. I think they're senators or whatever. Anyway. Uh, different races, different backgrounds, different religion, all this different stuff. And they were talking about the point of the, the, the interview was how they managed to work together because they disagree on just about everything. 
and and it was it was so refreshing to hear them talk about like hey listen we have the same end goal in mind right so one so the the topic was you know a focus on the minimized and the the poor poverty right and the lower class and bringing that helped them bring them up and education and opportunity and all these things and one said i i see going about it this way the other said well i think this way is the best way to do it and then they said yeah but both yeah but your your way has failings well so does yours and and it was a beautiful conversation and they came up to say look like the bottom line is that our end goal is the same we just have a different ways of getting there and like yeah yes thanks somebody thank you for saying it as believers our end goal is all the same to be with the father where whether that is in heaven or here on the earth or whatever whatever is for the presence of Hashem to dwell and peace to be on earth and, 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 you know, and there, there to be fullness and restoration. How we get there is a matter of debate. That's okay. But we don't have to villainize and demonize and hate each other because of it. We can actually work together to accomplish it and fulfill it. And so these, these, the, the, the title of the book of, of Exodus, Shemot, names. I think our focus when we read through the book of Shemot should be on the souls, right? The, the, the book begins with, these are the names of the children of Israel who went down to ex, uh, to Egypt, right? The souls of the, it, it's all focused on this. Throughout the whole story, it's focused on the people, the souls, the, 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 and what's happening and being transformed in their lives. Yes, the Exodus event is, 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 you know, cataclysmic, cataclysmically good for the Israelites. But what is it doing to the soul? What is it doing to the nephesh, to the to the the beings that are being affected by it on either side of the occurrence, right? And what happens? What is the what is the what are the ripple effect that happens afterwards, right? What trajectory does it it set them on? Of importance, of course, the soul. The point of the whole first chapter is to get to Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Who in, in Judaism is the greatest human being to ever live. And young Jewish children are taught, uh, as children that you can be just like Moshe. And, and I don't know, again, kind of going back to our Christian baggage, <laughs> I don't know if it's the same way as with us, where it's like, yeah, you can be like him, but you're never going to be like him. You know what I mean? Or like that, because that's, that's our baggage. Or let me, let me, let me tighten up that statement. That's my baggage, right? You need to be like Avraham, but you're never going to do it. You need to be like Moshe, hearing from God and and being bold, but you're never going to really be like that. You need to be like Yeshua because he's the ultimate one that we model our lives after. Pfft, like you like you're not going to do it, but you should always strive. And it's like what how how disempowering, disempowering? How, how, you know, that's awful. That's, that's so toxic to teach a kid. Another, you know, besides an adult, I mean, and most of us grow up as adults still thinking that way. It's this fatalistic type of uh, way of seeing ourselves in the world where like, yeah, you know, we know what we should, uh, should, you know, strive to be, but we also have this fatalistic thing of like, well, you're never gonna. So does it really matter? Should we really strive? Is it really that important? What's the point? Is this all a big joke? You know, is this some cosmic game? And, and, and all these things that we have to deal with, these struggles we have to have. Now, I don't know if Jewish children go through the same thing, 
But they are taught from a very young age that you can be just like Moshe. Period. End of story. Not, not only can you, but it's your job. It's your responsibility. This is what learning Torah at a young age is all about. It's teaching you and equipping you how to become like Moshe. Because what does Moshe say when the whole camp is prophesying, right? And they come back and say, Moshe, Moshe, these guys are prophesying, or the, the, when the two are prophesying. And he, he says what? I wish that everyone would prophesy. Everyone would prophesy, right? Everyone would be like me, would be like Moshe, right? Yeshua said the same thing. Go and do what I do. You'll do greater than I have, right? So we should not think it blasphemous. We should not think it blasphemous to believe that we could be righteous like some of the the most righteous in history. So we have a place. We have a role. How do you find that role? Well, generally, it is whatever you see consistently that bugs you about the world. Does injustice really bug you? That's your role because the Torah is all about equal weights and measures. It's all about justice. Justice. Is that what bugs you? Does hypocrisy bug you? Then that's your part because the Torah is very clear that we are to love one God and worship him the way that he says to be worshiped, period. Does hypocrisy, acting, right? Does that bother you? Uh, Does poverty bother you? What bothers you? What bothers you about the world? There's a really good chance that that is your part of the Torah. But in order to address it and in order to be an influence for change for it, you have to live it first. And we don't like that part. You have to live it first. If we think of life and and reality as a huge symphony, right? We're all different. We all play different parts of the symphony, which is great, you know, and it's fun. I've been in orchestra before as a musician. It's awesome when you're together with, you know, 60 or 80 people and you're making music, it's the, it's the most, oh, it's just incredible. It's an incredible thing. But you don't just, you don't just go like, oh, I want to, I, I think I'm a tuba. And then I'll just, burr, 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 burr. I'll just blat out notes. It doesn't work like that. You spend hours and hours and hours honing and refining your individual, your individual unique talents and gifts and skills so that when you come together, then you can come together cohesively and make something that is beautiful and intelligible and not distracting, right? If you, if you ever listen to a band and you have any musical sense whatsoever, if, and if somebody is not up on their part, it's distracting. If somebody is not honed their skills and is not showing up to really, you know, to do their best, it's distracting, right? Same thing in athletics. Somebody is constantly committing penalties or whatever. It's distracting. The game doesn't flow. The music doesn't flow. And life doesn't flow. So in order to, 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 to become a Zadik, you have to know your role. And then you have to work on your own unique place, your own unique, your skill set, your sensitivities. Your, you have to work on you. This is why I'm so... This is why I'm so on, like, don't let anybody give you an identity. Find your identity. And don't just listen to what everybody says and go, okay, yeah, I do. No, 
critically think, ask questions, push back, be a little bit cynical, be a little bit questioning, be curious because it's all about knowing who you are and what, how you work. Know how you learn, know how you understand, understand how you think, understand how you grow. These things are so vitally important. You have, we don't know ourselves well enough, mostly because many of us have been taught that knowing yourself is not worth it because yourself is evil and sinful and it's not worth the time and effort. It's to be thrown away, rejected, crucified. And I'm here to tell you that, that that's a lie and that's toxic. There are parts of yourself that don't align with what your destiny is. Those parts need to be crucified. Those parts need to be done away with. But the person, the self, the nephesh that, that Hashem created is good, is very good. And that part needs to be cultivated and fertilized and grown and explored in curiosity and, 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 and humility. I love this. Rabbi Reichman writes, The term Zadik does not refer to an objective image of greatness. So remember we talked about what is a Zadik and how we see what a Zadik and how that can can sometimes steer our path, our our expectation. Most of us have the idea of a a Zadik, a righteous one, as this – it's an objective like they're they're just really good, right? They're they're really great. They're righteous. They're holy, right? They have some special something, some je ne sais quoi. Or whatever, you know, something that makes them greater than everybody else and greater than us by default. But he said the term Zadik does not refer to an objective image of greatness. Rather, a Zadik is one who fulfills his or her role and actualizes their unique potential. Zedek literally means correct. And refers to the concept of truth. Becoming a Zadik means living your truth and bringing your unique potential into actuality. Let me stop there because I know that your truth thing, man, it triggers a lot of people. This does not mean neither I nor Rabbi Reichman, if I could put words in his mouth, are not saying you have a, your own version of the truth, your own you know, your truth is different than no. There is and there is an objective truth. When we're talking about living your truth, we're talking about is living your part of the truth, your role in the truth coming to fruition. Right. So becoming a zodiac means living your truth or your part of the truth, your role, your your role in the Torah, and bringing your unique potential into actuality. Again. You are a small universe. You are a small cosmos in and of yourself, right? And you have to bring that into being, that potential into being, because you have to affect the way other people see the world. When each, when we each made an oath to become a Zodic, we each promised to fulfill our unique role in this world. We have our own unique individual mission. Some of us will be on the front lines while others will make an impact behind the scenes. Both are Zadikim. Both are fulfilling their unique role. 
We may not be able to come as objectively great as Moshe, but we can become as great as our own personal scale, on our own personal scale. Just as Moshe fulfilled his unique potential, so too we can fulfill our unique potential. Now, it's, it's, some of you have felt probably okay talking about how we can become like Moshe, going like, okay, yeah, I can get my head around that. However, when we talk about what's important for most of us, that you can become like Yeshua, oh, well, that's where it gets sticky. And yet, as I said before, Yeshua's own words encourage this thinking. Greater things that you'll do besides me, right? Be, be like, I'm like the Father, be like me. The, the, does it mean that we're going to be the Savior of the world? No, it doesn't mean that we're going to perform the same function as Yeshua necessarily or in totality. But the idea is, Fulfill your, fulfill your role as I fulfilled mine. Fulfill your calling as I fulfilled mine. Go and do what Hashem has called you to do like I did. One of the most powerful statements to me in the, all of the gospels. Like when we, okay, so when we ask, like, well, when, when you say the Exodus, what, it, what pops into your mind? When we say the gospels, what picture pops into your mind? The cross, the, you know, miracles or whatever, blah, blah, resurrection. The, the phrase that pops into my mind when I think about the Gospels is this. Yeshua grew in stature with God and man, in knowledge and stature with God and man. He figured it out. He found his role. He found his purpose. He hearkened back to Kol HaTorah Kulai and his portion of it that he was taught in the womb. And he fulfilled it. And that's what he asked us to do. Find your portion, your role, and become a Zadik. Not objectively as good or great as anybody else, but against your own self. I love you all. Till next week. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.